Welcome to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxton, and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil of Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in the local area and abroad as well. Yeah, looking forward to it, Rob. There's plenty on the show this week, isn't it? With the start of uh, you know rugby league for our two uh, two local sides as well, meeting each other and the the ladies. It was an epic day at um, the AJ Bell Stadium on Saturday. Plus, I think we've got plenty of football and bits and bobs as well, Manchester Storm. So it should be an action-packed show. Yeah, I think obviously the start of the year, Paul, you know, when you get the calendar out and you, and you see all these sporting events coming up, gives you excitement, doesn't it? Because you, you think, Yes, that's something to look forward to and that's something to get invested in and, and that's what sport's all about. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly I think, you know, sport does works wonders in the communities, doesn't it? And when times are hard, sometimes people have a stressful job and stressful lives. You can just take yourselves away from it by uh, sort of indulging in your favourite sport. So, uh, so yeah, it's good for the good for the soul is, is is sport and following your team as well. I mean, sometimes it can be hard work, can't it, when they're not doing so well? But uh, but yeah, it was great to see the rugby league season come back. And I know it's only pre-season friendly games, but the the season will be so, here sooner rather than later now. So that's all to look forward to. Plus, like we said, the football season's hot enough as well. It's the uh, the crunch time really now as the as the running will begin soon, won't it? So uh, yeah, all, lots to talk about there. Yeah. So we'll do, Paul. We'll start with uh, the boxing, and uh, obviously with the pandemic uh, going on, the boxing sort of federation has decided to spend to spend all the fights in January. Uh, what do you make of that? Um, I thought it was a bit of a strange decision, really, because I know they said it was to sort of help the NHS and things like that, but a lot of other sports have carried on, and you know, Premier League football is probably the big one where thousands and thousands of people are going. So, I thought it was a bit of a, a bit of a small sort of help they could they could do really. So, I don't think there was like lots of fights at nights anyway. So, it's a noble thing for the British Boxing Board of Control to do, and you know, it's um, obviously been a been a help, some sort of help, and. It's pushed a couple of fights back, but it's not pushed them back far. And I'm sure the the public are going to be ready for the the, the rearranged fights. I know the Liam Williams fight and um, Chris Eubank Jr. is going to take place in Cardiff at the arena there in the start of February. So that's only gone back a week or so, and I'm sure that that's that's sold out. That's going to be an amazing fight night. So uh, so yeah, it, it's probably something they had to do. But you know, most boxing fans will be ready now, counting the days because of what we are now, sort of middle of January. Now it's a couple of weeks, and we'll be into February. Obviously, being a bit of a boxing novice, Paul, is is January a hot time for boxing? Obviously, we we look through the sporting calendar, uh, and obviously you got the darts that that happen in the winter winter months, you know, with the, the world championships and all that. Is there a lot of stuff going on in in the boxing in the in that time of the year? When I first got into boxing big time, I mean, I've always been a bit of a boxing fan, you know, as an outsider sort of for the big fights. But about, about a decade ago, I became really interested in boxing, particularly at British level, and I started becoming a bit of a boxing geek, to be honest, I'm watching a lot of boxing then, and you used to hear them say on the television about the season, and I never understood what they meant by by the, the season had finished and when it started, because I thought, well, there's fight nights all year round, but there is actually a season, but I still don't understand when it starts and when it finishes, so uh, I think it all depends on the promoters and, and, and sort of how they see it and when they fix things up, but you tend to find that you know, summertime is is a big time, especially across uh, across the channel, uh, across the Atlantic. Sorry, in America, there's a, there's a lot of big fights there. But Christmas time in December, uh, particularly, has become a massive sort of uh, fight time for for the UK. We, we've had all sorts of big shows, you know, with Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua fighting in in December in the last sort of four or five years. So th- there's there's no particular time now where 
it's an off season for me. I think that there's, there's things going on all the time. Um, so no, uh, yeah, <laughs> to answer your question, I'm not too sure when it starts and when it finishes. But there's a lot of entertainment there, and there's a lot of divisions and lots of belts, and there's enough to keep you going uh, all year round, basically, really now, and especially in Britain with what's going on and. You know, we've got all sorts of noises being made in the, the heavyweight division. I was reading some stuff today about potential fights that are going to be made up, uh, you know, this year. So there's plenty to get excited about both domestically and, uh, and you know, worldwide. Yeah, obviously, talking about the fights that were sort of moved, uh, Paul, uh, Chris Eubank Jr., the, uh, is it Liam Williams, was moved to the 5th of February to kind of fall into line with the, the Welsh COVID uh, rules um that's a banger of a fight to look forward to and, and to bring the crowds back well it certainly is yeah that's a sold out fight night at the cardiff i think it's the motor point arena in cardiff it's a, it's a big arena probably very similar to the one in manchester uh, you're gonna have a big crowd in there and uh, you know the the, the local lad and williams is um you know fought for world titles before and as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago this fight against chris eubank jr is is a is a is a real firework sort of fight it's you know, it's going to be absolutely electric, the atmosphere. Two fighters that genuinely don't like each other. Um, so it, the weigh-in's going to be very, very, very interesting because the, the press conference and interviews have been really good up to now. So that's a fight to really whet the appetite as well. It's England against Wales. Uh, that's going to be tremendous, it really is. The atmosphere in that arena. I mean, we know from sort of rugby union, rugby league, football, I think even cricket now, Wales play, don't they? And they don't like England, do they? So there's, there's not a lot of love lost between the two nations when it comes to sport. So that's going to be tremendous. I'm really looking forward to that. It's it's not a pay-per-view event either. I know it's on, on, on Sky Television, but it's not a pay-per-view event. So people are going to be able to watch that. And that's going to be uh, one to really sort of kick the year off. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Obviously, every year, boxing gets bigger and bigger, Paul, with the, the crowds and the promotion. And it's uh, you know a great thing if you're into boxing, you, you see it growing as a sport. Yeah, but you, you certainly do. And I know there's been a lot of movement as they're in boxing with, with, with Matchroom, sort of moving away from Sky and going doing their own thing on other channels and things like that. But it's good to, as long as the fights get made, I don't think the fighters are bothered about who's promoting it, to be honest with you. They just want to, to do the best in their careers and face the best of the best. The public want to see the fights being made and, and they enjoy it the way things are put together. It, it, it's, it's tremendous, really. There's some, some great shows and, you know, if you've not been to a live boxing event or you've not been to, like, you know, particularly for those people who live in, in the Manchester area or fight nets at the arena in Manchester are, are very, very special nights. I've been lucky enough to, to go there a number of occasions and, and watch our very own Anthony Crawler and they've been absolutely fantastic atmospheres. You know, the, the noise that's made, it's like a, like a, like a Premier League football game at, at times, really, the, the noise that's made there. So, so yeah, it's tremendous sport and, there's, there's so many great fights to look forward to. And as I said before, the Kell Brook and Amir Khan fights coming to Manchester as well. That's in March, I think. That's been moved. That's, I'm sure that's in the middle of March. I have to get the date for that. That's sold out. Sold out within a number of minutes. So that's another big one to uh, to look out for. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty more matches made. Everyone's got their eyes on Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk, Dylan White, all those big names in the heavyweight division. Who's going to get pitted against, uh, against who in, in 2022? That's going to be the big question. It is one of them things that obviously you look at the boxing situation and you talk about promoting it and, and making the fights. Uh, people like sort of Eddie Hearn, who's, who's deeply involved in that. Um, he, he Is he as big a figure as, as I think he is obviously in that boxing world? Oh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, he tends to get the booze, doesn't he? People, 
either love him or hate him, don't they? But I think he's done a lot for the sport. I think you've got to admire him and his, his father, Barry, and what they've done with, with matchroom, you know, with it being in snooker, darts, boxing. They they really have, um, you know, brought the sport to, to the attention of the masses, really. I mean, you look at what Barry Hearn and Matchroom did for snooker. They took that game from sort of a working man's sort of club game uh, into, you know, something that the British people absolutely loved and adored. And, you know, it's still up there now. But particularly, I go back to when I was a, sort of a youngish lad and, you know, staying at my grand's house, which used to always have snooker on in, in black and white most of the time. And millions of people were watching it and I was fascinated by it. And it was just basically because of the razzmatazz and and what, what they did for the sport. And, you know, tremendous. And, and they've done the same for boxing, I think. You know, uh, Eddie Hearn and his, and, as I said, his matchroom team. And they've set the benchmark, really. And other people are coming in now. You've got the, the boxer series that's on, on Sky now and the promoters that are, that are using that. And, there's all sorts of other promotions, Queensbury promotions and, and people like that who do a lot of Channel 4 stuff. So it, it's everywhere now and it's um, it's great to see, but they've definitely set the benchmark for it and done a tremendous job. Snooker in black and white, is that that must be one hard game to follow. Well, years ago when I used to stay at my grand's house, um, I sat down a bit personal, but she used to have a black and white telly upstairs and we used to watch that quite a lot. We used to watch Match of the Day on it. Um, yeah. And that was always a grey ball, and it, it was just a, a bit of a novelty thing, really, and something that we used to do. With snooker on a black and white telly, the red the red balls are slightly darker. The red and the black balls, you can always tell the other balls are a bit lighter. They're grey, but, but no, it was a bit complicated. You had to trust faith in the commentators, but you know it was uh, old school, as they say. I think it reminds me, Paul, of, of I think it's is it John Motson uh, when they all played match a day in black and white, and he said something like, uh, "It's Burnley v uh, Leeds United," and for the viewers at home watching, uh, Leeds are in yellow, but it was a black and white telly, so I'm not sure how, how that works. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's little things like that. it triggers a memory. You know what I mean? Yeah, certainly do. They certainly do. So yeah, but we talked about the boxing there. Just to sort of just sort of jump into another sport before we move on, uh, Paul uh, Novak Djokovic um, has been deported from Australia before his chance to defend his Australian uh, Open tennis championship. Um, obviously, he hasn't declared his whether it's uh, he's been vaccinated or not. Um, but the uh, Australian authorities uh, weren't happy and decided to send him on his way. It's just a nest that situation, really, isn't it? I mean, if you've had a vaccine or you've not had a vaccine, I think for me personally, I respect anybody's decision. It's up to you what what you want to do, but to not tell people, you, I think I think honesty is the key, really, isn't it? You know, be honest and and tell people what you've done, and then let them make their own decision on it. But it just seems a bit of a, a mess of a situation, and let's hope that you know we don't have any more things like that, you know, through throughout sport because it's going to make things really really complicated and frustrate supporters and, and frustrate sportsmen as well so I don't I think I can see it from both sides of the coin I think perhaps you've got a duty as a sportsman to, to sort of do as you're told um, and then on the other side of the coin you have got human rights and your own decision you know your own person to to, to make your own, your own mind up so it's, it's difficult I wouldn't like to be the one who says you know you have to have one or you don't have to have a, an injection I think that, that's entirely up to you and up to, to you to make the decision but no it seems a, a sad state of affairs really Robin a shame he can't defend his title it makes you think because obviously Austra- the Australian uh, Tennis Open uh, is the first major sporting event of any year of any season do you think this might be an outrider for sports like golf like tennis that will demand uh, you know competitors be 
uh, sort of vaccinated. Yeah, I can see it be, being a problem, Rob. Um, I really do. And it's funny, really. It's a difficult situation without sort of getting into science and things like that. It, I can see it from both sides. I mean, if you do have the, the vaccinations, you can still, you know, catch the the disease anyway. So it, the only thing for me that that sort of does is help you as an individual and stop you sort of getting really ill. So perhaps that should be your choice. But then you think you could be putting a strain on the on the hospitals, couldn't you? If you don't have it, so perhaps it is a bit sort of selfish. But I was talking to somebody uh, over the weekend about rugby league players and someone who was in a bit more of a knowledgeable position than I was that was telling me there's quite a lot of professional rugby league players who haven't had the vaccine. Um, and it's, they didn't name any names, but I think it was quite a high percentage. And what the problem could be there is going into the Super League season is are those players going to be allowed to go to France when they, they, their respective sides are playing Catalans and, and Toulouse? So that could be another sort of curve boil that happens this this, this summer and, and could be a real problem. We, we mentioned uh, when we spoke on our Devil in Detail podcast, didn't we, in the week about the, the RFL's decision about this 48-0 games if you can't fulfil due to COVID, but if you've got players who've not been vaccinated and they're not allowed to go into a country, then does that become a 48-0 win? It, it could be a real a real mess. It will, Paul. And, and for me, I always think you've got to think of the finances of the sport because sports want the competitors to be the best of the best and if the best of the best aren't able to compete then what happens with the people putting the money in the sponsor because they want people who are competing to be there and be able to advertise their products and if they're not involved then obviously the money goes down the prize fund goes down will they sell tickets for this for for, for the event because obviously if the top players aren't involved then will people play big money to watch them events and it, and it kind of spirals from there so it's, it's it's fascinating for me what will happen over the next sort of weeks and, and years sorry weeks months and years how different sports react to this conundrum yeah you, you're dead right it, it could be a real minefield and I don't really know what the answer is to be honest with you it's um, you know it, it does it seems a sad state of affairs that you know these sort of things are going to happen but it's inevitable really and I think I don't know I I think if I was a professional sportsman playing for, a, say it's I was playing for a club, a football club, a rugby league club, I think I'd probably do what the club was telling me to do. Because I think I'd have, or you should really have the respect of, of that club and who you work, that's your employer, I suppose. And I think if my employer asked me to do something, I'd probably do as I was told. I think that's just the way I've been brought. But not everybody's like that. And we'll have to just see how it unfolds. But I don't know. It, it's difficult, isn't it? You, you're sort of saying somebody's got to do something, and if they don't want to do it, I don't know. I, I don't. I wouldn't like to be the person that makes that decision. Put it that way. Yeah. Obviously, looking forward to the Aussie Open, Emeretta Kanu, Andy Murray will be the two uh, British interests going forward. Paul uh, Emeretta Kanu, fresh from her US Open uh, victory at the end of last year, she'll be looking at making an impact in Australia, uh, and we're hoping that she does the same because obviously she's a bright talent in the tennis world, uh, and hopefully this could be a springboard for bigger things. Yeah, super talent. Yeah, he did tremendously well last year and, and, and still at a very young age as well with a fantastic sort of career in front of her. She seems a very, very grounded young lady as well when I've heard her speak. And, you know, you can only you can only see her doing good things in the sport. And I think she'll have a tremendous tournament and looking forward to seeing how she progresses. You just mentioned Andy Murray there. I, mm. 
forgive my ignorance. I thought Andy Murray retired, but <laughs> so so I apologise because I know he did have a lot of injuries, didn't he? And I must admit, I'm not the the biggest follower of tennis, but I'm sure he retired. Andy Murray, has he come out of retirement? He did have a really bad back injury, didn't he? I think. I don't think he. he, he I don't think he actually retired. He just said that I don't think because he's I mean, like you say he's had, he's got a bad back, and I think he kind of said that I don't think I could compete at the very top level from now on. Doesn't mean I'm retired. It just means I don't think right. I'm going to be able to go and win an Open. Okay. Uh, he has been quite successful in the Australian uh, sort of Open uh, through the years, Paul. Uh, so he's probably thinking I can maybe push the barriers but like you say he's 36 now uh, so you know age has caught up with him so if he gets through to let, let's say the second round it's probably a success yeah he's only 36 I mean makes makes me feel all that I heard, <laughs> I had some, I heard somebody call a 38 year old the veteran um, today on Sky Sports and I thought well, I'm 39, oh. so what does that make me then? So, nope. uh, so sorry, no. Paul. I've, I've done him a do. I've done him, done him over here. He's 34, not 36. I was going to say I didn't think he was 36. Right, <laughs> okay. He's a five-time finalist um, in in Australia, so he has good memory of of playing over there. I suppose. Yeah, and, and and sometimes, like you said there about his body and you know his back and that, sometimes you can those twinges can go away, can't they, for a period of time, and you can have a really good tournament and you can perform outstandingly well and, and go to that next level. So I wouldn't write Andy Murray off. I think he's been a tremendous champion, tremendous sportsman, and uh, I know if he can get on a get on a roll and uh, you know get back to that 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 sort of form of a, of a couple of years ago, I wouldn't write him off at all. So I wish him all the best. It'll be a good tournament. Yeah, other Brits involved, Cameron Norrie, Dan Evans, Heather Watson, Harriet Dart and Liam Broad. Uh, Brody, sorry. Uh, Dan Evans, he's uh, he's probably not, he's probably looking to be the sort of the next British number one. Uh, and you're kind of hoping he can kick on in, in Australia, but it will be difficult. Yeah, of course it will. There's going to be some uh, some tough tests for him over there. But you know, if he's looking to be the next big thing, you've got to make that progress, haven't you? And you've got to put yourself out there and, and go for it. So, so yeah, this could be a big tournament for him now. But there's also, you know, despite the the Djokovic situation, there's going to be some tremendous players out there playing, isn't there? And uh, you know, it's, it's a world tournament in a, in a different country, you know, thousands of miles away. So the pressure's on. Yeah. So that's all the tennis chat, Paul. And now we're going to talk in ice hockey. I think. Yeah, we certainly are, Rob. You are our um, expert of, of Manchester Storm. How the Storm been uh, been doing of late? Yeah, three games this week, Paul. Um, two in Scotland. They played Glasgow Clan away and lost three one, and then they played Dundee away and lost four uh, one, which is which is obviously a disappointment. And then they were at home to Belfast, who were a good side, and lost six one. So three games in a week, lost all three. And obviously, disappointment for for the, uh, the Storm fans. Because obviously, if you look at the season, you look at your, your, your league table and you think you can't really afford to drop sort of three games like that. Um, but it is a learning curve and you kind of hoping you can bounce back. You certainly are. But, you know, three defeats is a, is a tough one, isn't it, in a week? Is the pressure building on, on Ryan Finney, Rob? I think it is. Paul, uh, people have, have obviously talked about this and, and the fans are getting restless down at the Storm Shelter, it has to be said. Ryan Finity is a good coach. He's, he's been at Manchester Storm for a long time and he knows what he expects from his players. Are the players 
be uh, able to produce the standard that, that is required to take this Manchester Storm up to that next level? Or is this Manchester Storm team running at a, a peak? We, we won't find out until the end of the season when we can look at this, the, the league table uh, and realise where we are. Do do we think Ryan Finity is ha- happy or does he will he accept three defeats on the spin? No. So it's bounce back time for me, Paul. And, you, and you're hoping uh, that they can you know, recover from this uh, and go forward and win a few games. Yeah, certainly. I think you don't become a bad coach overnight, do you? And, uh, you know, three defeats is going to hurt him. It's going to hurt him. It's going to hurt his players. But sometimes when you, your back's against the wall like that and, and you're in those adverse conditions and situations, you come out fighting and it can make you a, a better side and a better player and a better coach, better person. So you, you can't go through sport winning every week. It doesn't happen. You know, you're going to come up against against situations, you're going to have bad runs, you're going to have loss of form. That happens in every sport to every sportsman. So uh, I think it's about, like you said, how you react to that um, and how your team sort of galvanises itself and how they go forward and, and sort of pick themselves up. Yeah, it's all about pressure, Paul. But with pressure, pressure is privilege, isn't it? And you need to make sure uh, that you're on the, the, the front foot when you're performing. And this Manchester Storm side and this squad will start feeling the pressure. Like Ryan Finite, he's under pressure because obviously he needs to turn this round. So let's all embrace that. Let's grow with it rather than shrink with it. And uh, we'll see where we are in the next few weeks. Yeah, certainly. Certainly will, Rob. Um, Manchester Storm this week, Embrace Pride Week. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Fantastic from Manchester Storm. Uh, one of the players, Zach Sullivan, uh, last season came out as bisexual. Uh, the first ice hockey player in the world to do so, uh, which is a very brave uh, thing for him to do, in, in obviously, in the sporting world. Uh, the Storm obviously got behind the Pride Week, produced a special shirt for the fans, auctioned them all off. And it was great, obviously, Manchester Storm involved in the community uh, and, and wants to, you know, you know, get people educated on that situation that, that that people are in and I think it's great and you know congratulations to Storm for doing that Yes yeah, certainly certainly fixtures for this week Rob who's Manchester Storm looking to bounce back against yeah, obviously, because he's played three games last week, Paul. They've only got one game this week. It's Glasgow away on Saturday. So hopefully after a week of re- recuperation and, and training uh, they'll they'll bounce back in Glasgow next week. Looking forward to it, Robin. Best of luck to Manchester Storm in, on their trip to Scotland. Yep. So uh, that's all the ice hockey chat. And we're going to do now, Paul, we'll talk football and we'll start with uh, Manchester United. Two games this week against Aston Villa. One in the FA Cup where they won 1-0 and one in the Premier League where they drew 2-2. Um, obviously, it's it's been a difficult week, obviously, for Manchester United. The pressure is building on, on the players, the media storm, talking about whether they're motivated enough to play. Looking back at these two results, yeah, they beat, managed to beat Villa in the FA Cup, but being 2-0 up away at Villa and to, to be pegged back 2-2 is a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see the 2-2 draw. I caught quite a bit of the... Uh... The FA Cup game last last week, and I, I thought they were pretty fortunate in that game. To be honest, I thought I thought Villa played pretty well at times, and were were quite unlucky. I know they had a, had a couple of goals disallowed, didn't they? I think at least one anyway that I saw. And yeah, I, I thought United were quite fortunate. There's something not right at the moment, isn't there? 
Um, you'll probably be able to tell me more, but there's there's definitely something amiss in the in the camp. And you know, since the the change of, uh, of manager, you know, Oli Solskjaer stepping down and and Ralph Ranjit coming in, you know, there was a little bit of a bounce, wasn't there? But I don't know. The players don't seem to have reacted to that change. In a, as, a, as a positive of a sort of way as I, I would have thought they would have done, to be honest with you. It just seems to me that the, the club seems to be, I won't say going backwards, but standing still at the moment. I think you're about, I think you might be right there, Paul. I think obviously the appointment of Ralph Ranrick coming in on a temporary basis at present, players probably look at him and think, well, you're only here until the end of the season. So can I, will I put a shift in for you? And it's, it's a difficult situation for the Manchester United board because they don't want to be rushed into making a big decision, um, bringing a new coach in, which might not work. So bringing this, this guy in and, you know, his processes and his style of play are uh, a big change on what they're used to. And with the way obviously with the Premier League is and lack of training um, availability because games come thick and fast, don't they, Paul, this time of year. The players, are they able to adapt to his style? Because his style is, I think they call it Gengen Press, where everybody goes. But for everyone to go, you need to be fit to play that way. And unfortunately, if obviously you're playing during the season, you don't get a chance to build your fitness. And if you're not 100% fit, then that's how that's how injuries occur. And these players might be to themselves, well, I'm not, I'm not willing to 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 get injured. Uh, I just want to play. So it will be interesting to see sort sort of what happens here. There's there is talk of obviously transfer speculation uh, with uh, with uh, Henderson, the goalkeeper Van Van der Beek, uh, Anthony Martial, all looking for ways out of the club. And to me, being at Manchester United is a massive massive thing. And getting game time probably for them is a big thing. So. It's probably a balancing act. If you aren't playing every week, Paul, for your team, um, is it is it worth going to a sort of a lesser known side? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. That I mean, I, I don't quote me on this, but I don't think there's been too many players that have left Manchester United and gone on to do hmm. marvelous things. It, it's normally a step down when you leave Manchester United, and probably a bit of a disappointing day in your career really I mean you're talking about one of the, the biggest clubs in the in the world and I don't know perhaps there's some players in that, that side at the moment that don't quite appreciate that really you know the, the opportunity and, and, and what they've got there I mean it does feel strange to me the, the, the attitude that seems to come out of the, the dressing room and I don't know I, I can't quite put my finger on it and I know you said there about about Ralph leaving at the end of the season or or, or I don't know he's leaving he's, he's going to move upstairs and a new man's going to come in but you'd think players that are there at the moment want to impress now because obviously the new guy that comes in Ralph's going to tell him and give him a report on what's been going on this season so I can't understand I don't I don't really get the situation it, it does seem strange to me at the moment but there's definitely something amiss. I think I mentioned it last week, the lack of leadership. I think that's a, a big thing. We spoke about, you know, the, the likes of Brian Robson and Roy Keane and people like that. They're definitely missing that sort of leader on the pitch. And uh, But those sort of players aren't ten a penny these days, aren't they? You just go out and pick one of those up from somewhere because there's not many of them available. But I think they definitely need somebody in there who can sort of grab the team by the scruff of the neck and lead it. But has football changed? Paul, obviously, yeah. we talk about yeah. Brian Robson, we talk about Roy Keane, big characters, and in that changing room, are people 
able to deal with that now or have people changed as time has moved on uh you know the social media generation have they got that in them and like you say they're not if they have there's not many about really so it's hard to pick up a player who's going to come into Manchester United and, and start knocking heads together and not upset everybody. And and I feel that's, that's a problem for Manchester United because obviously for me, we have kind of, we started to drift into mediocrity, which is not where Manchester United as a football club should be. There's various reasons why, because obviously we're not investing in top, top players and not spending top, top money to get these players. But it's it is a difficult situation because obviously you can buy big, you can go and buy you know Sanchez or or, or you know big players like Di Maria, spend a low mo- load of money, and they and not perform. So it's a big big gamble, which it seems hasn't paid off at Manchester United in recent years. Can I ask you a question now, Rob? And um, I don't know whether it'll upset listeners or upset players or whatever, but. Something that plays on my mind, and it, I don't think it's just one sport, but like you said there about the, the social media generation, do those some of those players in this generation, do they lack the desire? Do they, are, they, are they a bit prima donna-ish? Do, do they deserve to be there? Uh, do they give their full commitment to the cause every week? I think it varies from sort of player to player. I think the way it's kind of set up the... Uh, the infrastructure with clubs where they go through academies and then they get into light reserves and then they get into the Premier League and, and have they tasted sort of the failure and has it made them hungry? Because obviously, looking back, you know, through the generations, players went from, you know, top clubs went down to sort of first division, second division, and were educated sort of the real way to play football. And they were used to getting the, you know, the physical side, Paul. Do do you get that when you're playing in your academies and, and you're under 21s and in your reserves? Are you feeling that education? And if players are all are in that sort of uh, bubble and aren't kind of sort of tasting the, the real sort of failure or, or real football, as it were, are players hungry enough, especially with you know the way social media is and, and the way players kind of sort of express themselves on there? It's always for me very like a magazine. There's never a sort of an odd shot of of them just chilling. There's, there's always a kind of like a, twi- a twist to it, whether they're advertising something or wearing something or, or something, because that's that's how they make their money outside playing football and that is the way football is now when when you look back at sort of the sort of the 70s and the, and the 60s and, and even the 80s really sort of players play football first and and they weren't that bothered about being snapped having a beer for example or, or eating a pie or, or things like that uh, but now this generation i think it's a balancing act between looking like you've walked out of a catalogue and playing football yeah, I don't know. Perhaps again, I'm talking at a turn, but do, perhaps do, do players have players got above the stations a bit these days? Mm. I mean, I think footballers now, the way I look at it as an outsider, I don't really follow a football team. They seem to me to be so detached from the working class society. They're up there earning sort of film stars' wages, mm. and it must be very difficult for them to relate or for a, a young kid at school to to relate to one of those, those guys. I mean, they probably want to be him because of the, the money that they're earning and things like that, but they are so far away. And I mean, how does a manager 
go into that dressing room and control those people because some of those players that are playing for Manchester United, they probably think, well, I don't give a toss what the manager says. I'm earning £200,000 a week. I'll do what I want. And that that attitude, it, it stinks, that sort of attitude. But how do you get rid of that? How do you police that? Because these guys have got everything. And whereas in the 80s and you know the 90s, they're probably earning good money and, and what have you. But there seemed to be a bit more respect there then. I don't know whether that that that's still there now, and it must be it must be very difficult for the managers at, at clubs, Premier League clubs, Championship clubs, to to deal with with the players because they have got everything, and the you know how do you control people like that? I think it's it's multi level management in it really because obviously you're managing a player, but then the players might get upset and want to talk to his agent, and the agent gets talking to the press about my player not playing enough and you know he's unhappy and he wants to move somewhere because the agent will make some money if he moves. So I think it's as a as a manager or a coach, you're managing the player, you're managing the uh, the agent, you're managing the family, you're managing the situation, and that's how it's different in it to the the way Alex Ferguson did it, where he was sort of garden, he was kind of in control, and everyone kind of kind of bowed down to him. When now it's a bit more like, well, I, I can't sort of you people can't look at Ralph and say, look, I bow down to you, whatever you say. Is, is gospel because you've not got you've not succeeded here and I and I can't challenge I can challenge you on that and, that, and that's the problem for me. I think if 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 Sir Alex was still involved in sport, I know he's 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 knocking on a bit now, isn't he? God bless him. He's still a fantastic guy. He's always there at Old Trafford, but in his eighty or so now, isn't he? If he still was though, if he was to sort of rewind the clock or take ten years off him and put him back in there. I'm not so sure whether he'd have the same effect now because he probably wouldn't have that free reign of, of being able to do what it, what he did back then. I think that was probably a special time. And will we ever see the, those sort of managers ever again? You know, the, the way the football, to me, as again, talking as an outsider, I think in the last 15, 15 years or so, it's changed so much, hasn't it, from, from what it was in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. It's... It's a, I don't know, it's it's totally different now, isn't it? It's like the space age sort of sport. It is, it is, Paul. It's totally changed, um, and that's the that's the that's the the gift in it that these these managers that are involved now. It's a results based business, and if you're not winning, then pressure will build. Um, and obviously, we'll have to wait and see how how Ralph and the players, Man United, deal with that. United have two fixtures this week. They're away at Brentford on Wednesday, and they're at home to West Ham on Saturday. Two tough games. Then, obviously, Brentford. Coming into the the Premier League, always a tough place to go. Uh, and West Ham competing near the top of the table. Well, yeah, Brentford have um, probably punched above their weight this season. I know the the run Manchester City really close. Who've been City have been pummeling most times they played against, but I think one nil against Brentford is a really tough fixture. West Ham have gone off the boil a bit, haven't they? Really chasing that top four spot, beat the weekend by Leeds United. That was a surprise uh, defeat for them as well. So they'll be looking to get back on, but. The way United are playing at the moment, yeah, you're probably looking at two tough fixtures. And that and that's the problem, isn't it, obviously, because the way the Premier League's set up and, and there's so much money sort of uh, sort of slushing around that the clubs that Manchester United historically would just turn up and win 3-0, they, they've got better pl- class of player now. So it's, it's every getting like they, they always say, Paul, when you play Man United, it's a cup final, but it is literally 
a cup final now because they know they're good enough to to beat Manchester United. So Manchester United have to raise the game every week. And can you can they do that? That's the big question. Yeah, I think I think sort of years ago or in the Ferguson generation, there was there was matches you could go for the fixture list and tick yeah. off and say they were definite three points. I don't think you can do that anymore. I don't think there's any gimme sort of games for for Manchester United and teams around that sort of middle section of the table. You know, Manchester City. Yeah, at the moment they they are. Decide to beat, aren't they? And Liverpool as well are not too far behind. Manchester United probably going to have to scrap for for every point they can get from now until the end of the season. Yeah, let's talk Man City now, Paul. They beat Chelsea one no one nil. Great game, obviously. Manchester City peak of the powers at the moment, uh, and to get a result against Chelsea pushes them clear. It does, it does, and at the moment you you can't see anybody catching Manchester City. They look like they're going to, you know, take the Premier League at a canter. Really, I mean. Looking at the fixtures, if they were to beat Liverpool, that would probably sold the, the league up, really. But you never say never. You, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen. But you know, they are, and I've said it time and time again. They're like a machine. They really are. The defense is, is pretty solid as well. They don't seem to concede much, and the goals come from everywhere. They, they, they've mentioned before about you know signing a striker, but you know they, everybody seems to chip in. There's a real team ethic there, and I think you, you've got to give a lot of credit to Pep Guardiola. He gets the best out of that side, and players respect him and they know they've got to do their job week in, week out or there'll be somebody waiting in the wings to, to take the place and you know as a, as a player of, in any sort of sport if you've got that other guy breathing down your neck that's only going to bring the best out in you Yeah and we talked about how players and coaches kind of combine to, to produce success Pep Guardiola's sort of the perfect example he's got a squad full of internationals he's got a squad full of millionaires but they're still running the blood to water for him so it's a weird situation that Pep can get it done at City but Ralph can't do it at United No that's it and I often look at sport and and look at teams and I think belief in sport and and that togetherness is a massive thing we know all about it from you know a few years ago with Salford getting to the grand final a lot of that was, was done yeah, some good players. We wouldn't wouldn't say they were good players, but a lot of that was done through sort of the mental side of things. You know, we, we say a lot of sport is in the head. You know, your belief and and if you've got the right mindset, you, you can do things. You know, amazing things. And I think that's one thing that Pep Guardiola in his time at Manchester City he's instilled is is a real mental attitude and you know kept his players grounded and and sort of brought the ethos of of the club and and, and created his own ethos there at Manchester City. You know, a club that we're always sort of bridesmaids really weren't they and a laughing stock for, for many sort of years the butt of people's jokes and you can't really say that anymore in, in this last sort of decade or so they've become you know as I said again a machine an oil, a well-oiled machine that's goes about City's business and, and is starting to win trophies Yeah uh, City's fixtures this week uh, Southampton away on Saturday always a tough place Southampton uh, but Man City like I said full of internationals firing at the moment you know, it's a kind of game you look at and think, well, that's that's a way win for me. It used to be tough when they played at the Dell, wasn't it? That mm. was always a tough play. Manchester United didn't like going there, did no. they? But no. Uh, yeah, I think Southampton, to me, have, have improved the last couple of weeks. That'll be a tricky tie for Manchester City, but you can't sort of see further than, than, than the Blues at the moment, the way they're playing, and particularly the defence is, is pretty solid as well, and you would expect them to, to, to go and win that match. Yeah, let's talk about Salford City now, Paul. Two fixtures for them, uh, two results for them this week. They drew one all against Tranmere on Tuesday, and then they lost two one to Bradford on Saturday. Um, Gary Bowyer, one point out of two games. It's a kind of a disappointment, really, if they're, if they're looking to to push on and get in that playoff spot. 
Well, the result against Tranmere was a belting result. You know, Tranmere are at the top of the table and mm. looking to push for promotion to uh, to League One. Aren't they? They've been one of the farm sides this season in that division. So he'd have been delighted with that point. And then obviously against Bradford, another team that's in and around where where Salford are. That's a probably becomes a six point in this time of the season when you're chasing playoffs and, and promotion and you know just trying to finish as high as you can in the table. I mean, there's still plenty of games to go, but yeah, you took a step forward there and, and took two steps back, really. So I, I would say Gary Boyle will be disappointed with that result of the weekend against Bradford. Yeah, so for 13th in the league, seven, um, seven points off a playoff spot, Paul. Obviously, two games this week, Port Vale away, Colchester at home. Two must-win games if they want to catapult themselves up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, seven points doesn't sound a lot, but... It is at this stage of the season. Now you're talking three wins there, really, aren't you? You know, to to win and the sides above you to lose. So it's it can take some doing that sometimes. But there's still plenty of games to go. So if they can hit, you know, a bit of form now, you know, going to the late, later months of the season, they've got the players in that squad to to do the business. I think it's just that finding that consistency for Salford. Yeah, they've been busy in the uh, transfer market. Ryan Watson has come in, ex-Tranmere midfielder, scored two goals in 22 appearances last year, only 28. The kind of midfielder that Salford needs to push on. Yeah, definitely. He seems to have a good pedigree there, like played very well for Tranmere, so uh, we'll have to see how that one goes. But no good signing for them as well. Like you said, only 28, still plenty of football in him, so uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll add a lot to the Amis uh, in the back end of the season. Yeah, and Stephen Kelly, Rangers midfielder, he's made a blown move uh, to Salford, looking for an opportunity to, to to put himself in the shot window maybe for next season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that could be a good signing for them as well. Again, he's come from a good uh, sort of ground in it at Rangers. They're a fantastic club there with a fantastic history behind them. So he'll be coming over here looking to, to do well. And like you say, shot window, whether to get back in that Rangers side or, or get himself a contract for next season. The, the final big news in the football world, uh, Paul, this week, Rafa Benitez sacked by Everton um, on Sunday night after a dismal run of form. The Toffees have decided to make a switch. Former Liverpool manager, which didn't really help his relationship with the, the Everton faithful, um, only won one of his last 13 Premier League games, the 16th in the table, six points of relegation. Uh, is it a good time for the switch? <laughs> Um, I, looking at the league table, I think Everton have pressed the panic button. Really, I don't think Everton have been relegated since the fifties, have they? So they've been, you know, one of those those clubs that have been in the top flight for a long time now. And you know, for them to get relegated, it'd be a disaster, wouldn't it? So uh, I think they've pushed that button early, haven't they? I think they're still about six points above it, aren't they? But the relegation zone. But Rafa has won what five games in his this season and his time there and been disappointing really I think they spent a bit of money there and for one reason or another I don't think the supporters have ever took to him have they and he's paid for it with his job which is disappointing for him yeah he talks about how you know big the challenge was and it was bigger than he thought it was when he, when he sort of signed up and that kind of shows where I think Everton are as a club because obviously you think of Everton as being a sort of a top six, top eight club historically. Um, and obviously to reach that, you need the money. But I know they've got a big stadium coming in the future, um, but it sounds like they, they haven't got the juice in the tank to, to, to reproduce the players. Now, I know they've spent big, but they've, they've not really produ- you know bought the talent needed to take them to that next level. That's right, and I think that's why they've struggled this season. And I think one other thing as well that, that I've noticed, as again, as, as somebody who doesn't take a massive interest in football, but you know, does does look at scores and things like that. And I've noticed that the the promoted teams 
have done quite well this season, haven't they? You know, Brentford have been doing okay. You've got teams like Leeds that came up. I think they came up last season, didn't they? But these other sides aren't the rubbing rags anymore, are they? You've got to fight for every point. You can that, that division. It's a tough division. Mm. Um, and if you're not at your best, you're going to be struggling. You really are going to be struggling. We look at Burnley this season. They've been sort of decent for the last decade or so now, punching above the weight in that league. And they've, they've hit a bit of bad form and they're right down there now and could end up going through the trap door. So, Everton can't rest on the laurels. They need to get a good appointment in soon. I think they're on about talking about somebody till the end of the season. Out of Roberto Martin has been mentioned, Duncan Ferguson, one or two others. So uh, we'll have to see see what what comes there. But they need to make the right appointment. Or they or they could be uh, be in real trouble. Yeah, they talk about uh, Burnley. Uh, Chris Wood, he's left. He's gone to Newcastle. Um, Newcastle spent loads of money. Um, you know. Well, they haven't spent. They, they've got lots of money in the tank to spend. Did, did we actually think that Chris Wood, Burnley centre forward, would be the the man to dig him out of this problem they've got a relegation possibly? I don't think money's everything. I really don't in in football, and they can have all their money under the sun. But since their new owners have come in, they've been absolute garbage, haven't they? I mean, no no disrespect to Cambridge, but they played Cambridge United in the FA Cup the other week in front of fifty seven thousand. Sort of Jardis, or fifty thousand, and maybe seven thousand from Cambridge, and lost one nil. I mean, come on, you, you've got all those supporters behind you, there and you can't muster up a, a shot on goal in a, in a match. It's pathetic, really, isn't it? So I don't know. I've always thought there's there's something not right in the culture at Newcastle. They always seem to struggle, don't they? For a side in a city that big, they they're massive underachievers, aren't they? But they're another one. They they could quite easily drop out this season because from what I've seen of them, they've been very poor going to be fascinating to see uh, sort of what happens there with with you know Newcastle having all that cash uh, and obviously the transfer window's not shut so there's still plenty of time to bring sort of new players in so that's all that the football chat now Paul I'm going to talk rugby league now on Salford Red Devils it was Derby Day on Saturday Salford Red Devils faced local rivals Sir Swinton Lions uh, the men's team and the women's team a historic day obviously uh, Salford Red Devils ladies faced Swinton Lions ladies. Uh, two great fixtures. Good day for rugby league. It certainly was. Yeah, it was great to see the the, the ladies get off, off to to a winning start. I mean, it was just great to see them, you know, taking part really. And uh, you know, Swinton they've had a, a side, you know, quite established for for a while now. So for the the ladies to, to you know come up with that performance and that victory in the the first run out, I think was great. And everybody enjoyed it. All, all the ladies enjoyed it. And you know, it's great to see. I was talking to my dad about this um, today, actually, and we were saying how, how great it is for the club to to get that feather under the cap that they've got. They've got a women's team. Now it's great to see people involved with it from every walk of society. I know we're on about getting other teams as well, and I think that's great because you're going to get all oh, more people coming to the matches. You know, more people being involved with the club, more people supporting the club. So the more people we can get under our umbrella of Salford Rugby League is uh, is is great. And you know, Swinton Lions as well. I think they did themselves. You know, a lot of credit on on Saturday. They they, they came and they're a League One side. You know, the the two leagues below Salford and they, they did really well. They started really brightly and I think they threw the ball around well. Scored a couple of tries, a couple of good tries. Worked the socks off and uh, and yeah, it was it was a good all round day. It was a, a nice sunny day there and a good crowd as well in that West Stand. It was it was pretty full when I got in there and mm. uh, yeah, enjoyed the day, Rob. It was it was great. Yeah, talking about the women's side, Chris Bates, uh, head coach of the ladies. Will be will be impressed with what he what he saw. Uh, Vanessa Hadley was the first uh, lady to score for for Salford, uh, which puts her in the history books, which is fantastic because obviously the women's game is growing all the time, and 
there will be sort of girls who, who have been to the AJ Bell on Saturday, watch these these ladies play, uh, and will be inspired to take up the sport uh, in the future. I know there's a Salford Swinton rugby uh, sort of development uh, program going on in Caddy's Head, so that might be worth sort of tuning tuning into if you're a if you're a lady or or a girl who wants to to get involved in rugby league, uh, and it's fantastic for the city. Yeah, it certainly is. Like you said about the, the, the women's game, it is growing all the time. It, it certainly is. I mean, you've only got to look at some of the, the games on the television in the, the, the Ladies' Challenge Cup last year. You know, your Leeds, Castleford, St. Helens and Wigan, some of the sides out of the way, they've progressed. And that's something that Salford and, and Swinton alike have got to look, you know, to inspire to be now and, you know, to, to be playing in that league with, with, with those ladies. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a long road for them. And But it's great to get it started and great to get it off the ground. And uh, I'm not for sure on who the next fixture is but really looking forward to it and it'd be nice to, to get there and do some reporting on it me and you I think uh, we'll, we'll enjoy that yeah it's going to be exciting obviously looking at the, the men's game uh, Paul Rowley's men Victoria's 48 points to 12 first pre-season game uh, of the of the season you know what are we expecting out of that did we did we see what we wanted to see at this stage yeah I'd say so I, I don't I never sort of get too excited about pre-season games. I think they're, they're a gauge for coaches to try out combinations and, and make sure you know, get all the players a run out, basically. You want everybody to play, everybody to get some game time. So inevitably, there'll be a lot of chopping and changing and players you know, interchanging and rolling off and rolling back on again. But you just want to work on your combinations, get everybody to that match fitness for when they play Castleford. And, and yeah, and get everybody battle hardened and, and, and work on things. So there's combinations to be worked on. And, you know, it, I don't think you read a lot into it. You, you just want to get through that if you're Paul Rowley without any injuries and uh, and just and just get the lads gelling together, get them playing together. Because, you know, you can do all you want in training, but there's nothing like that that sort of competitiveness in a, in a match where you're flying into tackles and you're, uh, you know, Swinton wanted to, to, to cause damages today. They wanted to hurt Salford. They wanted to beat Salford. So you don't get that from a training session, do you? So uh, so it was good. It was a good result, I think. I, I saw some, some real promising players there. I thought Elijah Taylor was absolutely outstanding for us. Shane Wright, the Australian second rower, he, you know, created a try, scored a couple of tries looked a, looked a real useful player I thought Dion Cross you know playing in the centre I think he's actually a winger but you know he's probably not going to be or wasn't the first choice for Salford but played in man of the match performances today and Paul Rowley will be looking at him now thinking blimey he could really push for a place in that side against Castleford now so uh, it's going to be interesting I mean Halifax this week will be a step up they're a league above Swinton so that's another another step I believe Halifax played Wakefield at the weekend and were, were beaten quite convincingly by Wakefield but they'll be looking to uh, to tune up as well so, uh, so yeah I think it was a good hit out for both Swinton and Salford Yeah R- Ryan Briley for me Fantastic first half performance. Local uh, sort of lad as well. You know, his dream was to play for Salford. Oh, he's a bit of a least star white. He's been there for years, but Salford was always in his heart. And to get over the line for him sort of meant so much. He talked about how, you know, how the structures are set up, you know, with the attacking flair at the club and, you know, how he's involved in that. And I think it's fantastic, obviously, going forward that, that he is in that sort of pivot situation with Brody Croft, Max Need and him, uh, he will be able to create good stuff uh, going forward. Well, I know a lot's been said about Brody Croft and Max Need and, and quite rightly so, they're a very exciting half-back partnership, but I think Ryan Briley could be the surprise signing and, and the one that 
you know, I'm not comparing him to Nia levels, but I think he could play that sort of role that, that Nile played at Salford, where you know you're chinking in the line and, and getting involved with the pivots. He's this fantastic support player. One thing I noticed just today was he's he's still very lively. He's he's still very quick. He wants to be involved with things, and he's got quite a bit of pace. He's still got that zip about him, and uh, you know the enthusiasm of the lad as well is tremendous. So you know he could be a real real star for Salford this season, and probably one that you know other clubs would probably not think as a danger man, but I think he can be. I mean, didn't really work out for him when he played in Super League with Huddersfield. I know he's been a least or what, like you said, but I think this is his, his second chance now at Salford. And I think, I'm sure he's going to grasp it with both hands. He's not, well, he was at the twilight of his career now, but he's not getting any younger, is he? So I think he, it's now or never for him now to make his mark in the top flight. Yeah, and obviously, like we said, Salford being a community club, uh, he has stood on the shed, uh, stood in the shed with, with us, you know, when he was young, and he knows what it's what it's about to play for Salford, and that kind of adds that extra level and that extra layer sort of going forward. I think he's going to be fantastic. From what I saw on on Saturday, he, he's going to be a real, real important player for us. He looks like he's found his own, Rob. He does. He looks like he belongs at Salford and he wants to be there for the right reasons. And, you know, a player like that, he's going to gain so much admiration from the supporters. He'll become a crowd favourite, you know, straight away. There's no doubt about that. People are going to love him uh, for his commitment. And he's always got a big smile on his face as well. I I think he'd be a terrific signing. I really do. And um, I just hope he can stay fit. And if he stays fit, he'll score tries for us. There's no doubt about that. He's tough in Super League, but I I think he'll smash it, Ryan Briley. And, And good luck to him as well. He seems a smashing lad. Yeah, with a minute to go, Swinton were very good as well. You know, they, they played hard and there's lots of lots of good things to look forward to for the Lions. Yeah, definitely. It was good to see Will Oak get over the trial line, really. I mean, I know I'm a Salford supporter, but, you know, he's a local lad, isn't he? And, you know, ex-Salford player as well. It was nice he got one. Mike But always seems to score against Salford, always seems to score for Swinton, doesn't he? He's a real prolific try scorer. Yeah, they've, they've got some good players on that side. Rodri Lloyd's always very dependable. I think they're going to have a good season in, in League One. It's going to be tough for them. We've got Oldham in there, Rochdale, some other good sides in there. You've got a trip down to Cornwall as well. It's going to be an exciting season for the Lions. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. We're going to be talking all about it on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. We're going to be talking football, talking rugby, talking boxing, talking ice hockey, talking uh, UFC, darts. There's lots and lots to go on, uh, Paul. And, and, you know, we, we look forward to talking about all things sport in Salford every week, coming to you on Salford City Radio. And we're, it's a pleasure for our listeners who tune in every week uh, and listen to us talk about it. Big thanks. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.